I imagine uh, you might have entered the Christmas season with visions of a Norman Rockwell painting, but reality was a little bit more like National Lampoon Christmas. We live in that gap between expectation and reality. How do you survive that? How should those who follow Jesus deal with the frustration, the disappointment of the everyday, of life in that gap? Well, Scripture gives us a great example of that. Uh, Before we get to that text, to set it up, I want to tell you about the marshmallow test. Uh, Maybe you've heard about it, but uh, the marshmallow test came about 40 years ago when a uh, Stanford psychology professor uh, wanted to, to test delayed gratification. So they got a a group of four-year-old kids together, and uh, one at a time, the the kids would be taken into a room with a researcher, and the researcher had a a bag of marshmallows. The researcher would take uh, that bag, open it up, take one marshmallow, and put it on the table in front of that one four-year-old. And and the researcher would say, now, I'm going to leave the room. I've got an errand to run. And... uh, when I'm gone, you can take that marshmallow and eat it anytime you want. Uh, but, but if you don't eat it, and I come back and that marshmallow is still there, I will give you two marshmallows you can have. Uh, but if I come back and, and the marshmallow is gone, that's the only one you're going to get. Now, do you understand? And the four-year-old would repeat back the instructions to make sure they, they understood. And so then the researcher would leave the room with the marshmallow on the table in front of the four-year-old, and he would be gone for 15 minutes. So you can imagine, and maybe you've seen video of this, as I have, a test like this. The kids, I mean, just some of them just couldn't. The guy was not even out of the door, and they gobbled up the marshmallow. And some of them just tried to wait for a while, and, and eventually it's like they gave up. But there's like a war that they're waging inside themselves about uh, this marshmallow. And, and so some of them tried a, a, a lot of different tactics, uh, like sitting on their hands to keep, or, or closing their eyes so they wouldn't have to look at the temptation of the marshmallow. Some of them talked to themselves or sang songs to try and distract themselves uh, from this, and and. Uh, My favorite, though, was the one four-year-old who licked the table all the way around the marshmallow (laughs) without touching it. Now, the marshmallow test almost destroyed these kids. And often, we enter this season with excitement. Uh, The excitement of how things should be. And then we find out just how very far from that we are. And we begin to ask things like, how long until that relationship is restored? How long until my loved one is healed? How long until I stop hurting? How long until I get a job? How long until the sting of failure is gone? How long until my loneliness ends? How long until this habit is broken? How long until I'm different? How long until the world is free of terror and violence? See, I think a lot of our heartache that we experience is tied up in waiting for things as they should be and yet are not yet. And in a sense, you can see life as God's marshmallow test. And so how do we survive that test? How do we hold out for what God has promised to be true? We have an example from the very first Christmas 
Uh, Jesus is a few days old, and it comes in Luke chapter 2 when we read this. On the eighth day, when it's time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he'd been conceived. And when the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Well, there's a lot that's going on here. Let me give you some framework for it. First of all, there's three kind of major events that are happening uh, mentioned in this passage. There's circumcision, there's purification, and there's presentation. Circumcision first. If you're a Jewish family in the ancient world, you would need to do a minor surgical procedure on your son at this stage of eight days old. Circumcision was the sign that you accepted the promises of God. And a knife made of flint or glass was used. Uh, you didn't call in a doctor or a specialist. A poor family would have no money for that sort of thing. Uh, the father usually performed this minor surgery. And it was in this ceremony of circumcision that the baby officially received uh, his name. Uh, I think maybe for the first week you just called him baby. I don't know how that works, but uh, Mary and Joseph already knew the name. The angel had given them that name, revealed that. But this is the official public naming of the child. That's the first event. The next event is purification. Uh, you see that mentioned in the text. Jewish law said that after giving birth, the family would have to wait another 33 days before they went to the temple for purification. So 40 days after birth, it was time to bundle up that baby and go to Jerusalem for, for then the purification and then the presentation of the child to the Lord. They would bring offerings to thank God for the birth of this child. Uh, they, and these offerings would be sacrifices to cleanse them from their sin. Uh, and the law required that a family bring a lamb and a dove to accomplish this. Uh, but if you were very poor, the law, as we find in Leviticus 12, uh, allowed you couldn't afford a lamb, then you could bring two pigeons instead. So notice that Mary and Joseph are very poor. And it wasn't until the wise men visited Mary and Joseph that they would have gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, right now they had nothing. And so this is what they give. And in the temple crowd that day, filled with people, I'm sure, there's an obscure man that's mentioned nowhere else in Scripture. And we read this in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Now we're not told how old Simeon is. We get the sense that he's old. There are some extra biblical sources that say he was 112, which I would say is pretty old. But what scripture does tell us is that he's a good man because he is called upright, a sincere worshiper of God. But more than that, Simeon is waiting for something. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. What is that? Consolation, this word means comfort, uh, help for his people. Uh, he was waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. Prophecies that the Christ, the Messiah, the Messiah would come to rescue his people. And this man, Simeon, was under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He'd been promised that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah for himself. I, I've known some people who felt they would be alive when Jesus returned, and they were convinced of that and have since died. But he had revelation that this was true. 
He, he knew that this was true. And he waited to see the Messiah arrive. And the decades rolled by. And he waited for God's promise, which was far more than a marshmallow. It was a Messiah. And how he waits is instructive for us. Because Simeon isn't forcing God's timing. Simeon doesn't become jaded and cynical. He, he doesn't become an old surly Scrooge. He hasn't thrown up his hands in disgust over the, the, the weight uh, and given up. Uh, but even though the years roll by and the clock was running out, he waited. How? He waited by continuing to seek God, continuing to trust God would answer in his time. And so uh, he kept obeying. He, he didn't try and make deals with God. He kept going to the temple and scanning the crowds uh, for this child and asking God, is this the one? Is that the one? Is he the one? Waiting. And that's what it looks like to actively wait on God. Let me tell you that as you live in the gap between expectation and reality, waiting well means not becoming bitter, not walking away, not demanding results from God. Doesn't mean we can't boldly ask God, but, but to try and make some deal with God, to, to push God into a corner. A waiting well means not doing that. That even in the heartache of your life, even in the disappointment, you wait in prayerful dependence. You keep watching for God's promise. You don't become bitter because you know that God in His great love has your best interest at heart. So will you trust, pray, and obey God until He brings about resolution in your life? John Orberg says this, I, I, I like it, he says, waiting isn't just a matter of getting what we're waiting for, it's also a matter of the kind of person we become in the process. That's very important. Now, the marshmallow test, it, it revealed the sort of people these kids would become. Because the researchers didn't stop with that test in that one room, but they, they tracked these four-year-old kids. And it, they found that through the years, those who were able to wait for the researcher to return and give them a second marshmallow, they were better able to cope with frustrations and they were less rattled under pressure and stress than the others. The four-year-olds who couldn't wait, who gobbled it up uh, within that 15 minutes, they seemed to be more stubborn and less decisive and more resentful about not getting enough, more prone to jealousy and envy. So, that four-year-old experiment showed the kind of people they were becoming. See, waiting reveals the kind of person you are. Now suddenly, Simeon's wait is interrupted. Uh, the, the Spirit prompts him, says, go to the temple, today's the day. And I'm sure Simeon dropped everything, whatever it was he was doing. And I imagine him hurrying along the city streets and his bones creaking and his lungs burning and he arrives to the temple out of breath and, and he spots this couple. Now, I'm sure they're not much to look at. I don't think there's a big halo ring around them. Oh, them, no. I mean, the month before they'd been living in a barn, right? And, I, and the man has calloused hands of a worker and their clothes are simple. But Simeon knows, the Holy Spirit's told him, this is the one. And he reaches for the child, and, I, and I, I wonder if Mary hesitated a little bit. I mean, wouldn't you? How protective we are, at least of the first one. The other one's okay, but the first one. <laughs> she might have hesitated a little bit. As this strange man takes Jesus in his arms and he bursts into a psalm of praise. This is what he says, verse 29. 
Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. One thing the English translation here doesn't capture is that the very first word of this psalm is the word now. Noon. Now. The wait is finally over. I've been looking for the, the, the coming of the Son of Righteousness, and now he's here at last. Light has entered the darkness, and now I can die in peace. Now, Simeon's not asking to die. It's just that the one thing he's organized his life around has now happened. Simeon got what he was waiting for, and he sings over this remarkable child who is God's salvation and rescue. He sings that this baby is God's light to show path, the path to God that is open to all, open to Jews and Gentiles. Now remember, Simeon had waited to see the consolation of what? Israel. Israel. The rescue of his people. But now, he sings that this is not just for Israel, but this is a light for the world. The coming of Jesus Christ was better than he ever expected. The wait was more than worth it because Christmas was beyond all that was imagined. Now, think about this. What was Simeon's waiting over? Well, sort of. He's seen Jesus, the promised one, but what hasn't happened yet? Consolation. The Messiah's arrived, but the consolation has it. The rescuer has showed up, but the rescue is yet to come. And the waiting continued for God to actually console, uh, to eradicate the gap between how things should be and how they still were. Simeon was waiting for God to, to make everything right, everything that had gone wrong from all our sin and brokenness and the evil of our world. And so Simeon's waiting was relieved at Christmas, but his waiting wasn't totally resolved. So he experienced relief, not resolution. And really, that's where we live, in this gap between relief and resolution. Uh, think about it this way. Remember the, the time of year when the mosquitoes are out in full force? In, in Houston, it's 11 months of the year, I'm pretty sure. But, but what happens when you get bit by a, one or a thousand mosquitoes? Well, you can't help yourself. It's, it, you itch, you scratch it. Probably shouldn't, but, but you do. Maybe it, it's just, and it brings some relief until the resolution of the bite is gone. Um, in a sense, that's what Christ's coming has done. It scratches that itch that we have in our waiting so that we can hold out for God to fully resolve everything. Because of Jesus, we have relief in our struggle now as we wait for resolution to come. Now, you may be waiting for resolution in all sorts of things. Resolution in relationships. There's a fracturing uh, in your family or friends that needs to be restored. Uh, you're looking for resolution, a solution for the loneliness that tears you apart or for a deep connection with, with someone who loves you. But, but Christ's coming brings relief in our relationships. How? Well, through him. A relationship with God is possible that runs so deep that nothing can separate you from his love. Uh, that relieves those relationship longings until God resolves them when we experience perfect community with God and his people forever. Uh, you, you may be waiting for resolution in some personal struggles in your life. A habit to change, the cycle of sin to be broken, or healing of illness or disease. But Christ has come, bringing the relief of forgiveness through his sacrifice on the cross and resurrection from the grave, so that all who believe are made new. 
And through faith in Jesus, sin's death penalty is removed. Sin's power is broken. And that's a great relief. But we're looking for the day when the very presence of sin will be gone. It will be eradicated. Sin will be no more and there will be resolution. The day is coming when God will resolve all things by the eradication of tears, pain, sin, and death. As 2 Peter 3.13 says, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. You may be waiting for resolution to the chaos and violence of this world. You long for a life without fear, without threats, without terrorists, without bombs, without conflict. And Christ has come to give us peace with God that forms the basis of peace with others and the promise of future cosmic peace. That truth brings relief now as we wait for God to bring resolution. So take hope that Christ came to give you a relationship with God, forgiveness of your sin, freedom from your guilt, peace with God, and life justified before him. And that's God relieving the itch of waiting until he fully resolves it. So how can we actually experience this relief and be assured of resolution? Look at Simeon's final words to Mary and Joseph, verse 33. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So Joseph and Mary are, I think, stunned. Here's a complete stranger who sings revelation that confirms everything that the angel told them. But then he gives them some information that they didn't know. And that is that their baby boy, Jesus, wouldn't just solve everything. No, he's actually going to be a point of contention. He's not going to be universally accepted. And he's going to experience pain. And the pain and the rejection and the suffering Jesus experienced will be, affect his mother as well. It will strike her soul as if a sword was plunged into her heart and she would be powerless to do anything about it except watch it happen. And because of this child, some will collapse and others will resurrect. See, Jesus is the stone over which some will trip and others will be raised up. And those who stand in their own strength will fall and fail. Those who come to Jesus in humility will be raised to eternal life. As one writer put it, Jesus is the inescapable one. Sooner or later, everyone must choose for or against him. And that's the gospel. Jesus is the good news. Everyone must choose either for or against him. He's the litmus test of people before God. Based on how people respond to Jesus, either in faith or in rejection, their true colors shine through. In that sense, some will rise to be with him, as Simeon says. Others will fall away from God and separate themselves from his presence. And what Simeon is alluding to here is the cross that Jesus would bear in the future. And on that cross, Jesus would bear all the poison of our sin, and he would die to rid us of it. And by doing that, Jesus became the test for anyone with God. Will you trust God by embracing what his son did for you on the cross? Or will you trust yourself and try to do it on your own? Try to bridge the gap in your own life. Try to soothe the heartache that you experience in your own life. Or will you trust him alone? How you respond determines whether you'll raise to God, rise with him, or you'll fall 
and never experience resolution? Do you find relief now by faith in Christ and what he did on the cross? And in him, you're assured of God's eternal salvation, a resolution. And since God sent his son to die for your relief, surely he will keep his promise to resolve all things. See, much of the disappointment you and I experience right now comes from the gap between what should be and what actually is. But this is God's marshmallow test. Wait well by embracing the relief that is in Christ that has come in salvation. And then you can look beyond that for the day when God will completely resolve all things. Here's the question I want you to ask yourself as I ask myself today. Here it is. Who are you becoming as you wait for Jesus? Who are you becoming? A few years ago, there was a bomb scare in Philadelphia. And uh, a conductor for the Transit Authority discovered something uh, very suspicious on the tracks right near Philly's massive 30th Street station. And it looked like some kind of electronic transmitter. Department of Homeland Security got there. The FBI swarming all over the place. And they, they discovered this mysterious gadget is something to be concerned about. It's a motion detector. It's designed to send a signal to a nearby receiver. And so the panic was all amped up about this. And as everybody was freaking out, a train mechanic stepped forward and admitted that he had installed this. So was he a terrorist? Was he a disgruntled employee looking for revenge? No, he worked the graveyard shift, and he installed the motion detector to send himself an alarm when his supervisor was approaching. And that way he could safely take a nap, and if the alarm went off, he could get up and look busy when the boss showed up. As God's people, we cannot begin to live that way. If you follow Jesus, you just can't carry off your own schedule and timetable and agenda. Make your own priorities. You must be ready and waiting. As Scripture tells us again and again, like Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Or 1 Thessalonians 5.6, let us not be like others who are asleep. Let us be alert and self-controlled. Or 1 Peter 1.13, Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. So the question is, who are you becoming as you wait for Jesus? Uh, Bret Hart wrote a story called The Luck of Roaring Camp, and it takes place over 100 years ago. Uh, Roaring Camp is a mining town, and uh, it's a wild, desolate place place populated by miners who work hard all day and drink hard all night and they cuss and they fight over everything and there's just one woman there her name is Cherokee Sal and Sal dies giving birth to a little baby so suddenly Bret Hart says these scarred hard-fisted men have a squalling wriggling diaper filling infant on their hands and they don't know what to do They wrap her up in rags and put her in a box to sleep, but it's obvious that's not right. So they send a guy to a store 80 miles away. He returns with a handcrafted rosewood cradle. They put the baby in the cradle, but that doesn't look good enough. So they send a man all the way to the big city, and he comes back with a lace and silk blanket. They bundle up the baby in the silk and put her in the cradle, and then they notice how dirty the floor is. So so they do something they've never dreamed of doing before. They get buckets, mops, soap, and water, get on their hands and knees, and scrub the floor. Finished, they look up and notice the grimy walls, and they wash those. Now they realize the windows are so dirty you can't see out, so they polish the glass. And things now look so good, they decide to hang curtains. 
And once that's taken care of, they need to get back to work at the mine and they carry the baby in her rosewood cradle and silken lace blanket to the entrance of the mine shaft. But the mine looks grim and dreary and foul next to the beautiful baby. So they build an arbor and plant a garden and install a little bench to make it beautiful. When they finally get down into the mine, they find beautiful, shiny stones and bring them up to the baby. But when they hand the stones to her, they notice their own grimy, sooty hands. And soon the general store is sold out of hand soap, shampoo, razor blades, and cologne. Because the baby changes everything. The baby Mary and Joseph brought to the temple. The baby Simeon held in his arms changed everything. By his perfect life, his sacrificial death on the cross, and his glorious resurrection. He made it all possible for us to be called the sons and daughters of Almighty God. Only he can soothe your hurts, heal your wounds, satisfy your emptiness, cleanse your sin, and guarantee your future. So keep waiting for him. As this year comes to a close, there are all kinds of things that we're waiting for. And I would just urge you today to find your relief in Christ as you wait for full resolution. So let's close out this service by spending a few moments in reflection, confession, renewal. I invite you to pray just between you and God here in this collection of his people. Speak to God about your failures, your frustrations, your hopes, your dreams, your needs and longings, your brokenness, your blessings. And as you do that, there will be some scripture passages rotating, cycling through on the screens. And if nothing else, use those to remind yourself of what God has said. And then after a few moments of, of private, silent prayer, reflection, confession, then I will close the service with a benediction. So let's take these moments of silence now.